So good evening, it's great to be back in the uh, bosom of NCBC. I've been away uh, for a couple of weeks uh, and it's great that I'm looking into the uh, congregation this evening and I see some people I don't recognise. Uh, so that is great news, that's great news. So a warm welcome to everyone, that, particularly that hasn't been here before. I have the privilege of talking this evening about Palm Sunday in the Church of England calendar that is celebrated uh, next week. But isn't it a, a time of contrasts? Here we have Palm Sunday where Jesus entered Jerusalem triumphantly and five days later um, some of those people that welcomed him were party to nailing him to the cross. I had, um, when uh, I was preparing for this, God put on my mind uh, donkeys and I've had the privilege uh, throughout my life of that being my favourite animal. And uh, as a young man, when I entered the police, we were under a bit of pressure to write out wills, uh, which I did. And of course, I left it to um, Sidmouth Donkey Sanctuary in Devon. If you get the opportunity to go there, it is a fantastic place to be. And this evening, a, uh, a, a UEA student, Evie, big welcome to you, walked through the door, and we're having a chat, blah, 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 blah. Where are you from? Sidmouth. I couldn't believe it, from Sidmouth. Uh, anyway, of course, as you know, I got married to uh, Kate, and uh, I decided that, uh, and we had children quite quickly, I decided that I needed to, uh, to change that world uh, uh, pretty, pretty quickly. Uh, I'm also blessed with the ability to be able to make uh, extremely good donkey noises, uh, which I don't propose doing this evening, uh, because there was enough of that at uh, Messy Church uh, yesterday. If anyone says, go and do it, I won't. I'll do it after the service. So what we've got is I've got uh, two short passages from Scripture uh, to read this evening, and uh, then I'm going to unpack uh, some of that uh, within about uh, 10 to 15 minutes. So um, the first passage I've got is, uh, is John 12, and it's verses 12 to 19, and it is on our... Uh, it's in our Bibles, it's on page uh, 1079. So let me read this. So the next day, uh, the great crowds that had come uh, for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went to meeting, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it as it is written. And he said, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. <coughs> At first his disciples didn't understand this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realise that those things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. Now the crowds that was with him uh, when he called Lazarus uh, from the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. Uh, many people, uh, because they'd heard that he'd given the miraculous sign, uh, went out to meet him. Uh, so the Pharisees, so the Pharisees said to one another, "See, this is getting us nowhere. Uh, look how the whole world has gone after him." So I'm now going to turn to a very short passage. And that is Luke uh, chapter 19 and verses 39 to 40.
So the second passage is Luke chapter 19 uh, and it's verses 39 to 40. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He said, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And we know that God always blesses his holy word. One Sunday there's a young boy and uh, he's unwell and he decides that uh, he's too unwell to go to church so he stays home uh, with his mother. And the father goes to church as normal and uh, when he comes back he's got a huge palm branch in his hand. So the curious little boy said, Dad, Dad, why have you got that branch? Why have you got that branch? He said, you see son, when Jesus came into town we used these palm branches to put on the floors to greet him and welcome him uh, into the town so that's why um, I've got these palm branches and the boy said I can't believe it the one Sunday that I miss church Jesus turns up <laughs> next Sunday as we know it is uh, Palm Sunday the day from Gospels where it was a party was thrown to Jesus he rode into the city uh, the people threw palm branches in anticipation of his coming thus we get the word Palm Sunday this day marked a time of celebration where Jesus was, and we know he was worshipped and praised. And I think it's interesting just to see, in context, why he came on a donkey. First of all, when it occurred to me when I was preparing this, how frightened must that young donkey's colt been? But Jesus was able to sit on this colt's back in peace. He turned up into Jerusalem in peace. He could have equally turned up a, on a horse, and at that time, a horse was a symbol of war. But Jesus decided to turn up on a donkey. I don't know about you, we've sung it this evening, I find myself at all times of the year running around my house singing Hosanna, Hosanna uh, all the time. And quite often, Kate, my wife, asks me to, uh, to turn the music down. But I'm sure you know, and uh, uh, from a Hebrew context, Again, it means peace. It means peace. So isn't it interesting that those people were shouting uh, peace, but five days later, there was, a, there was a, a huge, a huge change. So it is quite bittersweet for the way the story goes for us, uh, that five days later, those words of Hosanna were changed, weren't they? As we know, to crucify him. Crucify him. I don't know, because I wasn't there, but I suspect that some of those people that were shouting Hosanna were also the ones that were responsible for that, uh, for uh, helping him go to the cross. Let's look at the example. Uh, many people know what to say, how to say it, even how to act. But when the rubber truly meets the, uh, the road, there's no result. During Jesus' triumphant entrance uh, to, to the crowd, they had no real personal relationship with Jesus, uh, just empty words. And we heard earlier on about this uh, situation that we're in with Brexit, and I've said this many times, is that we're in this cul-de-sac situation, aren't we? And it is only Jesus uh, that can get us out of that uh, cul-de-sac. Talking of empty words, and I'm so glad that I put this to bed uh, 
uh, one of the things I had the privilege of studying was mathematics at university and uh, I was quite interested about the <coughs> indictment of Norwich being the most god godly, uh, no, the most godless uh, city. It's not true. You know, I looked on the census and on the 27th of March, Christianity was found to be the largest religious group with 59% of the population saying they were Church of England or Christian, 59%. But actually leading on from that, when I had a look, uh, there were three cities, uh, Norwich and two others, and the press homed in on that and it just so happened that those areas had a high concentration of students that said they had no religion. So Norwich was being picked on uh, for some reasons. Why the change? That is a big, big question. So you have Jesus uh, coming along uh, in a party, in a carnival atmosphere, and five days later he was crucified. Why the change? In my view, and what God has put on my heart, is the fact that his words, their words, didn't match their heart. They possessed a casual, not a committed faith. They had religion, but they missed the point. They missed the point of Jesus. So, also when I was preparing this, isn't it interesting, because I found I've been talking to myself for the last couple of weeks. I prepared some of this in the beautiful Lake District, but as I was, uh, God put on my heart what to say, I thought, my God, this applies to, this applies to you. So can, how can we have a real committed faith uh, that is sincere, consistent in all we do? So I've got three very short keys to try and unlock that so that we do have a more fulfilling life uh, with Jesus. I say they're keys because can we uh, at any time unlock a full and true relationship with Jesus? I try, but can we actually do that? I can't because I'm a sinner. So the first key is that, it's, uh, that we need a committed faith that is not self-centred. It's Christ-centred. And that's exactly what Jesus did, isn't that? When he rode in to Jerusalem, he came on a donkey, he came in peace and not warlike. This sounds obvious, but sometimes we miss it. In my former church, uh, our vicar there, Jonathan, used to use these phrases, getting God out on a Sunday, and when it came to collection, tipping God. I have to say that uh, sometimes I'm guilty of that. Sometimes I'm guilty of that. So that's that. the first key is that we need to be uh, Christ-centred. People praised Jesus as he passed by, but many of them praised him for two reasons. First of all, as the scriptures told us, uh, the first one is because of the miracles they had seen. He'd healed the sick, you know, and he'd raised Lazarus from the dead. The other reason that occurs to me, and is quite obvious, is that the people must have seen Jesus as saviour to release them uh, from the bondage of the Romans, as has happened earlier on. Uh, from the Egyptians. So their praise was very much tempered with Jesus, what can you do for me? What can you do for me? And a few days later, uh, at the trial, they saw a beaten and disfigured Jesus, a man who no longer looked like a deliverer or a conqueror. Uh, and as words were about to be said, uh, they bought in to all those lies, didn't they, about Jesus, and quickly changed their position. It was all about me, me, me. A number of years ago, there's a story that uh, a king uh, was due, a uh, king of Spain, uh, or of an area of Spain, was due to visit an area. And uh, this king had never been there, so uh, they had a, like a council meeting and decided that when they greeted uh, the king, what they were going to do, they were going to serve the finest wine. 
So what they said to all the vintners in that area, what we want you to do is we're going to produce a huge barrel and so that one person doesn't have to provide it all, what we want you to do is to get a, I'm sure it's not, vintners wouldn't call this, a ladle and put in uh, your finest wine uh, into this big barrel. But you can guess what happened here is a lot of people thought, well, what I'll do, everyone's going to put their finest wine in, so I'll put my worst wine in. And everyone had the same idea, so they poured it all in. And of course, when the king arrived, uh, he was uh, greeted and toasted with this wine. And this wine was not the best wine. It wasn't the best wine. So as we lead up to Palm Sunday 2019, we ought to choose to honour our great king by giving our very best withholding nothing, uh, giving him our all. I think, yeah, it was last year at our weekend away, and it just shows that I was listening because Sandy Miller said something quite profound, and it's something that has stuck with me. And uh, talk about giving our all, this is what he said, is he said five things. He said, love the Lord Jesus with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. Secondly, be part of a community, be part of a fellowship, and I'm very proudly part of this one. Thirdly, he said, try and be more like Jesus. Try, I don't know about you guys, I find that very difficult sometimes, very, very difficult. Tell others about Jesus, tell others about Jesus. And we've got, uh, coming up um, shortly, um, I don't know when that will be, but we've got an uh, evangelism course. Well, again, you don't need to be some fantastic evangelist. It's just really drawing alongside people and telling your story. And lastly, serving, serving him. That's what I try to do to give my all. Second key is that we need a, co a committed faith that is relationship-driven. So let's go back to what actually happened. So many of those who gathered to throw their coats and palm branches onto the street who shouted the praises did so because it was a popular thing to do. It was a popular thing to do. It was a, it was a trendy thing to do. Perhaps some began doing it with sincere motives, but others soon uh, walked away from it. And later at the trial, trial, as we know, they shouted, crucify him, crucify him. And in a brief moment, they would much rather crucify Jesus than a convicted murderer. In our own lives, and this applies to me, committed faith, only comes when we've got a personal relationship with Jesus, one that is fresh every day. And I learnt from someone in this congregation that from my quarter is I do have some quiet time in the morning and that sets me up for the day. And I ask Jesus to personally direct me in my steps for that particular day. Third key is that uh, a committed faith is not swayed or, or blocked by our own personal trials or crisis. During uh, Jesus' entrance to Jerusalem, again, it was trendy to offer praise. Everyone was doing that, but at the trial, to speak out for Jesus was very risky, wasn't it? Possibly even life-threatening. So do we speak out for Jesus? I don't have to defend God, because God will defend himself, but do we speak out for Jesus? Or was that blocked by our own personal trials and crisis? Do we tell unchurched people about our personal journey? Many of us come to Christ, um, I certainly did, expecting the whole thing to be a bed of roses. You know, I'm a Christian now, nothing will go wrong. Well, I thank God for your Christian life, I thank God for my Christian life. 
But when the bottom drops out for us, we often ask God why. And if our faith is based on situations and circumstances, it will never, ever be committed. Uh, it will always be casual. So in my life, I've been to some great celebrations, and I know that a lot of people have here. Uh, spring Harvest. I think the time has come at Spring Harvest, maybe as a group, as a church, if people are minded to do so. I think we ought to go back there. I've not been back uh, for years. And with some people here, uh, there was a men's gathering, and it is called The Gathering at Swindon where thousands of men are singing God's praise. It's fantastic. But of course there was a problem with that. When returning home, uh, still glowing from the worship, I think to myself, it's easy to do that here, but tomorrow you, fade the, you face the hard task uh, of getting on with life and praising the Lord all the time. So a committed faith takes the good and the bad, but the, we've talked about this today, knowing that all we're ever promised is that God is in the midst of everything we do, in the midst of everything we do, and he will never, ever forsake us. He always stands with us. I love this story, and I'm going to read it verbatim. So a story is told of a little girl who walked into a garden, and she noticed a particularly beautiful flower. She admired its beauty and enjoyed its fragrance. It's so pretty, she exclaimed as she gazed on it. Her eyes followed the stem down into the soil and into the dirt. The flower is too pretty to be planted in such dirt, she said. So she pulled it out by the roots and ran up to the water tap and washed away the soil. And it wasn't long until the, um, it wasn't long before the flower wilted and died. And when the gardener saw what the little girl had done, he explained, you destroyed my finest plant. She said, I'm sorry, but I didn't like it in the dirt. She said, the gardener replied, I chose that spot and mixed the soil because I knew that only there could it be grown into a beautiful flower. God has placed us exactly uh, where we are. We must trust him and in trusting, we'll eventually see that he's using our pressures, our, our pressures, our trials and our difficulties to bring us to a new degree of spiritual beauty. There was evidence of this yesterday at Messy Church and I asked this lady's permission to say what I'm about to say. There was a lady there called Sonia who 11 years ago came out of Hebron. That lady had been in the dirt and uh, at a very, very low ebb uh, she found and she trusted in Jesus Christ and she's gone to a new degree of spiritual uh, beauty. True contentment, in my view, comes from when we accept what God is doing and thanking him for it. So, we've had a look, very, very briefly, at casual or committed faith. And as we, as we approach this time where Jesus suffered incredibly for us, in a week where our sins, past, present and future, were the nails that hung him to the cross, doesn't Jesus really deserve a second look from you? and certainly from me. Doesn't he deserve to totally control our lives? Doesn't he deserve a personal relationship with us? We've heard uh, Alan speak earlier on that we've had this committed week of prayer. Isn't it a time of year for us for huge contemplation, thinking about Jesus? What are we going to do for the rest of our earthly lives? 
I read and I found this very, very difficult to interpret, that last uh, passage of scripture that I read out, which was two verses, and it talks about the, when uh, Jesus is told by the Pharisees to stop those people singing out Hosanna, and he said, if I do, the stones will cry out. What does that mean? This is my interpretation and this is, how I, and this is my interpretation and it also brings us to a close. When I read Luke uh, 19, verse 40, I don't envisage the stones physically singing. I imagine stones witnessing the rejection of Christ by those that saw the miracles and deeds crying out guilt in the face of their impending judgment on Jesus. As humans, we've been created in God's image. Thank God for that and his own likeness. We see that in Genesis 1:27. We are the ones that should be glorifying him primarily. We're given this wonderful privilege of reflecting him because we were made to reflect him. And if we, if we refuse to do that, the stones will praise him to his glory and to our shame. To his glory and to our shame. I have the privilege of running a large business that's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And the good news is I'm about to retire. I can't wait. And uh, because I'm sort of the oldest person in the business, I hear all these new expressions coming in. And I know it's time for me to go because I don't understand half of them. And I heard one of our salespeople saying FOMO. Does anyone know what that is? F-O-M-O. What is it? Fear of missing out. Fear of missing out. It's like school this is. What is it? Fear of missing out. So FOMO means fear of missing out. Do we, do I, want to miss out in following Jesus? Are we casual or are we committed in our faith? That is Christ-centred, personal relationship, not swayed by our own trials and crisis. If we try and follow these three short keys, then that will give us a true, lasting and committed faith. Not just for now, but forever, eternally with Jesus. Amen.